Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my sparkfile. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my sparkfile. I jump into my sparkfile. Let's open up the sparkfile. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the sparkfile. This is your one-stop dump truck for creative inspiration. I'm Laura Camion. I'm Susan Blackwell. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you. If you're joining us for the eighth time, we want to welcome you. That's right. Welcome. Here's the deal. We are makers. We make Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Yes, we do. And if you are like us making stuff all the time, then you know that um, there are plenty of times when the well of inspiration runs a little dry. So we are always on the lookout for fresh ideas and images and inspirations that spark our creativity and pique our curiosity. Mm -hmm. Things that inspire us to get up off our asses and make things like this podcast. Um, Or a new nail polish design. Or a banner. Yeah. A handmade banner that you're going to hang up for a party that says Rage On Monsters that you crocheted. That's impressive. I cannot <laughs> wait to see that. There you go. So um, every episode, we're going to reach into the spark file and we're going to exchange some sparks. So enjoy that. And then we're going to talk to some people who spark us too. And if you're not careful, you just might get your what knuckles wrapped. I know that's not true. But anyway, without further ado, <laughs> welcome. Let's open up the, the spark, spark file. file. Um, Hmm. should I go first? I think if you feel that urge, we should. I think I'm going to go for it with it. I'm going to serve you up a spark. I'm so excited. What is it? The name of my spark today is be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Oh, that of course is a 
famous refrigerator magnet. <laughs> a woman named Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Refrigerator psychology. I think that's who said that, though. I will tell you, I have heard that attributed to other people. I didn't ever know that, like, who said that. I, I, for all I know, Rasputin said it or Martin Luther King said it. But according <laughs> to my very limited Googling, Marjorie Pay Hinckley said it. I genuinely, I thought you were going to say that your spark was be kind, rewind. rewind. That would but also be, a, that is a spark for another that's day. That's not even part of our lives anymore. Um, yes, but there's a spark in that. Um, Mm. as you know, Mm. as you know, listeners, as you know, baby, baby, cam cams, Mm -hmm. I am obsessed with the discussion of how something appears on the outside Mm. and how it feels on the inside. Mm. Mm. Um, obsessed. I feel like I personally am at, (sighs) I say this with um, some reservations, but I'll, I'll, I'll posit this. I'm at my best. I feel at my best when what is happening on the inside and what it looks like on the outside are in some kind of alignment. Like if I feel good and healthy on the inside and that's reflected on the outside. Yeah. That feels good to me. Yeah. But we all contain multitudes. So I think it's actually kind of rare. I think it's kind of rare for the outside and the inside. It's kind of <laughs> the outside and the inside to be in attunement. Like for instance, you could be feeling under the weather, your kid could That's be struggling right. and you have to go to work and be cordial and professional That's and right. appropriate. Right? Suck it up, buttercup. We are all yeah. sucking it up buttercup all the time. And this is especially true in the entertainment industry. There is where there is, my God, oh. so many smokes. So many smokes and so many, so many mirrors. mirrors for fuck's sake. There's this make-believe element where we're supposed to appear credibly as another character. So if I'm playing like a bored judge or a lady who just got a promotion at work or some lesbian biker who owns a roadhouse, shout out, yes, God, yes. And then (laughs) one layer below that, we're supposed to be present and listening as if we're not nervous, as if we're unobserved, as if these words are coming up from inside of us, as if they're not memorized lines, as if we're a confident expert in our make-believe field. So there's, I feel like we're working by design. Mm. I want to add to that. What's up? Because the, those examples are true, but also referring to like the work that is being done. But I think there's also an added pressure to be a character of yourself, like socially to be on, to be like, yes, Susan's always wacky and funny. Susan's always there because it's some kind of brand and it doesn't necessarily allow you to be fully like authentic all the time if you are, I mean, you can, but I think people have to work for it. I remember a day in high school, the very first time, because I was sort of a, um, I don't know, like a energetic, positive fun, funny. Yeah. That was my little brand. Yeah. And one day I was just like sitting quietly. I remember so many times in my life where people are like, are you okay? Because I was just like quiet, introverted, kind of maybe a, at least an honest representation of who I was in that moment. Mm -hmm. And people were like, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. Are you sick? Mm -hmm. Like, so yes, I agree with you. Good point. Um, I remember this quote from one of my teachers in graduate acting school about the difference between an amateur and a professional. Mm. This It's funny because I thought that this was a quote quote, but then I looked it up and I was like, I think this is just something she said. Um, 
an amateur you <laughs> you know what i, I mean know, but i thought it, it was like a quote by her no no no. i thought it was like some like refrigerator <laughs> magnet <laughs> piece of wisdom um it could be an amateur can execute the dance the song etc when they feel like it but a professional can perform at the highest level even when they're not feeling it interesting because they yeah. have that technique that they that's can rely right. upon that's right um which really stuck with me because i was just like who's it what are you going to be a professional or an amateur uh, professional um yeah. I don't know. I've yeah. thought about that. I've reflected uh, on that's that true. many, many times. Um, so I was reading this article in the New Yorker written by an actor named Amelia Clark. Oh. Does this ring a bell? Did you peek at this? I have, I read about the article, okay. but not the article well, itself. Oh Let my gosh. I'm excited. On a magical mystery tour. So Amelia Clark is on that show, Game of Thrones. Heard she of plays Daenerys Targaryen. She does. Um, if you haven't watched it, she's this little petite white lady. And on the show, she has this long platinum wig and she's often riding on a What's dragon's back. That's, <laughs> That's her hair. <laughs> um, the creators of the show, Games of, Game of Thrones, Games of Thrones. <laughs> That's what it's called. That's what I call it. Describe the character as a blend of Napoleon, Joan of Arc, and Lawrence of Arabia. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, that them's big shoes, right? So when I first <laughs> saw her on Game of Thrones back in 2011, I thought Amelia Clark was so clearly beautiful, but also so talented and so poised. And the way it smelled to me like she was a highly skilled Shakespearean actor who was using all those talents in this fantasy context. Uh-huh. You know, she's making these speeches in front of armies of, you know, sometimes in pretend languages. Yes. Yes. Speaking in made up languages, convincingly taming dragons and just living her best fucking life. And I remember I looked her up because I was like, I've never seen her before. Who is she? she? And I was like, Oh, she was probably at the RSC or some shit like that. Royal Shakespeare company. But I looked her up and she had like no prior credits. She had no prior credits. Maybe she had like one. Oh my God. She had landed this remarkable role on this TV show that was becoming a cultural juggernaut. And I was like, man, this girl is living the dream. She's beautiful. She's gifted. She's like, this is a role of a lifetime. And I was just like, I did that thing that I have done so many times in my life where I was like, that person has it figured out. That's right. That person is living a life I would love to live. I'm sure she's human. I'm sure she puts her pants on one leg at a time. I'm sure that she, I know that she, Mm -hmm. everybody poops. Like I get all of that, but I was like, that is living the dream. So she released this article in the New Yorker. She wrote it. She wrote it. It's it's her editorial. Yeah. Uh She is basically coming out about what was really going on for her during that time. And apparently after the first season of filming, she was in London. And remember in like one of the first I don't think it was the first scene, but really early on in one of the first episodes, she appears nude. Like That's she's, right. she's she gets out of her, that bathtub. Her brother, yeah. her yeah. brother fills her up. Re- yeah. That Sorry. character. She's a, but really a Joan of Arc. She's really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. If you haven't seen the first <laughs> season of a show that's been on for so many years. Um, so apparently after the first season of filming, she was in London, she was getting ready to work out with her trainer 
She started to feel a headache coming on, but she pushed through it and forced herself through the first few exercises. Then her trainer had her get down into plank position. And she says she immediately felt like she had an elastic band that was squeezing her brain. So she made it back to the locker room half crawling, like made it back to the locker room and became violently ill in one of the bathroom stalls, just crazy nausea and pain, which was increasing, getting worse. And a woman in the bathroom was like, clunk, 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 are you okay in there? And she, she said she knew on some level that something was not okay happening in her brain. Whoa. Whoa. Um, but the woman helped her onto her side in what she called recovery position when you put somebody on their side, I guess, so that if they vomit or something. Yeah. Uh, so there's a helpful life hack recovery position. And then she said, that's when things, Amelia said, that's when things get blurry. There were like ambulances and emergency mm-hmm. response and throwing up bile and a trip to the emergency room. Oh God. So she had an MRI brain scan and they learned that she had what's called a subarachnoid hemorrhage. Yeah. Do you know what that is? Just a brain hemorrhage yeah. is all I know. So apparently it's a life-threatening stroke that's caused by bleeding into the space surrounding the brain. And apparently about a third of the people who experience this type of aneurysm die immediately. Oh my or soon God. A third. That's 33%, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my God. And for patients who do survive, urgent treatment is required to seal off the aneurysm as there is a very high risk of a second, often fatal bleed. Oh. So if she were to live... And avoid big brain damage. She would have to have urgent surgery. Uh, and even then, with the surgery, there were no guarantees. So welcome to your newfound stardom. Oh, my God. Amelia Clark. Oh, my God. So she had this three-hour brain surgery. And she said, this is a quote from her writing, this would not be my last surgery and it would not be the worst. I was 24 years old. Oh, God. Suck a dick. That is rough. Oh, uh. In that first surgery, they did not open up her skull. Instead, they used a technique called endovascular coiling, where the surgeon introduces a wire into one of the femoral arteries down by your groin, down by your femur. What? Yeah. And the wire makes its way up around the heart and up to the brain. And they utilize that to seal off the aneurysm. I know modern medicine is crazy, isn't it? That's why like when we're like talking about Theranos, I'm like, the it future is now. Yeah. Future is yeah, now. The They're future doing is now. crazy right. sh- shit with this yeah. endovascular coiling. Anyway. Yeah. Holy moly. She woke up from the surgery, three hour surgery. Are you okay? I, I am. I just you look I'm okay. Distraught. It's upsetting. Should I have put a graphic warning up top? No. I was prepared. I mean I I'm sorry to speak for all of us listeners. Um, I was prepared for it and still it, it, it upsets me, but it is remarkable what can be done with modern medicine. Tis. Um, Please proceed. Okay. So she woke up in unbearable pain. She didn't know where she was. Her vision was constricted. Oh. She had a tube down her throat. They told her when they moved her out of the ICU after about four days, um, that her next big hurdle was making it to the two week mark. And that if she could do that, her chances of survival were good. So she was just living day to day and hoping like that she was going to make it to this magic two week mark. So spoiler alert, she made it. Mm -hmm. Um, After she'd passed that two week mark, a nurse was running a series of cognitive exercises, just basic stuff. And she, mm-hmm. the nurse asked what her name was and Amelia Clark couldn't remember her name. Oh God. And she said, instead of her name coming out, just 
nonsense words came out of her mouth, like word salad, but she knew she wasn't making sense and she went into a blind panic. She writes, I'd never experienced fear like that, a sense of doom closing in. I could see my life ahead and it wasn't worth living. I'm an actor. I need to remember my lines. Now I couldn't recall my name. Oh God. Yeah. So apparently, are you okay? Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm really harsh in your buzz, girl. (laughs) On this very special episode of the Spark File, I'm okay. It's I know it's tough. It's a it's upsetting. Yeah, it's scary too because I'm like, oh, I know that we say frequently like, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Like right. savor this day, savor That's this right. freedom from pain, savor this health, and then it. But that doesn't mean that we can savor it, and, and yeah. I think we should. Yes. And also crazy shit comes out of the blue and knocks you in the side of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So she was suffering from a condition called aphasia as a result of this brain trauma. And she said, sorry, I'm going to take it even darker. She said in her worst moments, she wanted to pull the plug. I asked the medical staff to let me die. My job, my entire dream of what my life would be centered on language, on communication. Without that, I was lost. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Ugh. it's tough. Like, I wonder, I'm knocking on wood. I, I mean, if I were to find myself in a similar situation, I I love to think that I'm the person that would be like forever optimistic, but I don't know that that's realistic. Oof. I think I would buckle. Yeah. I feel like I would buckle so fucking fast and be like, just let it. Like, like, let's just do this, like, in an elegant, quick way. Ugh. Um, And Ugh. also, like, what am I going to do? Like, if I can't, whatever. If I exactly. can't use my hands, am I going to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what am I going to do? I what are you what thinking? Mean. What are you thinking over there, Laura Camion? Uh, I'm just thinking, I, I, I can't even put words to it. I, I feel really emotional. Just the fear, I guess, is what struck me of, um, if you've ever had a moment where like you couldn't control your body yeah. or your words or, yeah. you know, something, um, that the way she described that fear and terror, like I've had just tiny glimpses of that. Nothing compared, thank God, like nothing compared to that. But it's like no other feeling there is. Like you're so accustomed to to not even thinking about like your hand, I'm going to reach for my glasses and it's going to do exactly what I'm yes. thinking it's going to do. Yes. And for for anything other than what you expect. For it to go off the rails to like To go that. off the rails is like. Really scary. It's really scary. I think it, that it, it just got my me. friends who have MS and they taught, they call it uh, the Zen disease because each day that it sort of shifts the way that it manifests. Oh. So one day you might be like dizzy and the next day you might be like, I have weird spatial relations. Yeah. Like uh, I'm reaching for my glasses, but I'm not. I'm off by two I'm, inches. Yeah. Yeah. So, like yeah. I, I, that's not, I'm not an expert on MS. Yeah. I just play one on TV, but, um, but they say yeah. that the mark keeps moving, which yeah. is, that's so scary it's that scary you're out of control fine. and the way that you're out of control keeps evolving. Yes. Yeah. It's really something. And I, uh, more strength to everyone who's like experiencing that. I wish more strength to people who are going through that. And I pray 
that when, if I am going through something like that, when I'm going through something like that, or I am walking alongside someone who's going through that, that I have the wherewithal to navigate that with some measure of grace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so she was feeling so much pain that pain, she was like, uh, all of it, like pain. telling them to let her go. Yeah. And, but also like uh, out of control of her mm. language. But she said after about a week, the aphasia passed and about one month after being admitted, she was able to leave the hospital for the first time oh a month God. in the hospital. That's a month, a month in the hospital. She was able to leave and she was preparing to do press interviews. Oof. And then a few weeks later, she was preparing to be back on the set for the second season of Game of Thrones. So she returned to her life, but the doctors told her she had another small aneurysm on the other side of her brain that Oof. could pop at any time, which oh. makes me super uncomfortable. Uh. Um, though there was the possibility that it was small and it could remain dormant. So she's still recovering She's on morphine to manage the pain. She tells her bosses, but she doesn't want to discuss it publicly. Because right. she's like, the show must go on. Yeah. But I was also thinking, she doesn't go deeply into this, but there's also like this sort of Damocles hanging over her head of like the possibility of this other thing That's rupturing. Right. That's right. So I well, think... Well, she's halfway around the world uh, yeah, in the she's desert sh- shooting. shooting like Dubrov. Yeah. Neck or whatever, whatever yeah. what's it called? I don't, know. Check. I don't know. Um, anyway, that seems scary to me. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was the correct use of the metaphor, the sword of Damocles. I don't even know if you call the sword of Damocles metaphor. I'm just thinking about things that could like, like Bugs Bunny pianos or Wiley Coyote anvils that could drop on your head at any moment. See, those analogies I understand, but I did not know the sword of Damocles. That'll be a different spark. Okay. All right. Um, Great. Basically Damocles that he had a sword suspended above his head that could fall, but I don't remember why. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting it confused with the pit and the pendulum. I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) uh, she described doing press before season two began filming. She said she felt so woozy and super weak and she was sure she was going to die. She's mm. sipping on morphine between the interviews. Oh my She's God. in terrible pain. She said that the fatigue felt like the worst exhaustion she had ever experienced. Oh, Can you fucking imagine? God. And meanwhile, this is probably the exact time I'm Googling her thinking, Who she's she? got it all. She's amazing. Yeah, like beauty, talent, wow. fame. She's got everything. Wow. Um, and meanwhile, she's... She's barely holding it together. Being excruciated. Wow. Um, But she threw herself into filming and she said on the first day of work, she barely made it back to her hotel room before collapsing. But that when she was on set, she didn't miss a beat, even though she was struggling. And she admitted that season two was her worst. And she says, and I quote, if I am truly being honest, every minute of every day, I thought I was going to die. Oh. Imagine the pain and the, the the anguish and the stress of that. I, I imagine all of that. And I imagine keeping that secret. And keeping like, it a fucking secret. Like, Cammy, and that's right. Also having this, oh, like, talk about, right. like, the exercise of, like, I have a secret. Fuck. 
to what's the exercise if I have a secret? Oh, you know, like when people acting exercises when you're like you go into a scene and you've you I have a secret. I'm you a know. bad actor. What is that? Yeah, you're a terrible, terrible actor. Uh, it you're like matter. you're like just I've that. got a secret, and the secret is that I actually nobody around me knows it except for my bosses. That my brain could could hemorrhage at any moment, and I'm in excruciating pain. But I'm going to pretend like I'm the mother of dragons. That's right, motherfuckers. That's right. And maybe you're sitting there complaining about the the hangnail craft you services. have on the craft services and she's like, or the and splinter. Like, I could fucking drop that at right. any moment. And it's like, it's yeah, please tell me about your problems with craft services. <laughs> it does lend perspective, doesn't it? It does. I also think it would make me so irritable. I, if I was in pain, I feel like I would talk about my pain all the well, goddamn time. I would also, I probably would want to, even if I wasn't talking about it, I would probably want to be apologizing to people for not being myself. And they'd yes. probably be like, what the fuck? I don't even know who you were to begin yeah. with. So how do I know you're not I'm you? a bad secret keeper. Um <sighs> In 2013, after finishing season three, she did that production of Breakfast at Tiffany's on Broadway. Did, I didn't see you know, it. it. I don't. I don't think many people did. She said she had a good time, but she knew My they God, were like, "There she is, taking on more projects." Yes, yes. yes. Um, she said during that time she had five days left on her SAG insurance, so I'm guessing it maybe was near the end of the year because uh, it runs from January to December. But she went in for a now routine brain scan, which she had to do because uh-huh. she's had these episodes. And they told her that the growth, that little growth on the other side of her brain had doubled in size. Oh, and she had no. to go in for another surgery, again, going in through the femoral artery, which even though it's not the full cracking your brain open Megilla, it's, mm. that's major to have a, it's a major. coil running up through your, yes. that's big. Yes. Um, when they woke her up after surgery, she was, I'm sorry, Cammy, and I feel like I'm torturing you. And I feel like before, I feel like before we started, we, we always compare like, is your spark like, is it, is it upbeat? Is it going to be a dark spark? And I was like, I think mine are fine. (laughs) Sorry. Um, when they woke her up after surgery, she was screaming in pain. She had had a massive bleed and the doctors informed her that her chances of surviving were not good if they did not operate again immediately, this time going in through her skull. Go in. It's not easy being Amelia Clark. Oh my God. She said the recovery was even more painful than the prior surgery. She had this drain coming out of her head. They had replaced parts of her skull with titanium. She was scarred and she wasn't sure if the scarring would show um she was even more worried about cognitive and sensory loss as a result of the surgery and the brain trauma um so she spent another month in the hospital and she said at times she lost all hope this is what got me this is the thing it's isn't it weird what gets you here's the thing that got me she couldn't make eye contact with people Mm -mm. she was having anxiety and panic attacks and again she thought she was going to die but there was something about that she couldn't make eye contact with people. Like lit physically couldn't or I think just, just was like emotionally couldn't. I think she was just so racked with um <sighs> anxiety and panic and fear. Mm. I just the, what I imagined and it could be just a story I made up is that if she mm. made eye contact she would fucking lose it. Because of yeah. that human connection. Yeah. I could be wrong. That's a story I made up. Um, but now after keeping quiet for all these years, she is telling this story. I just want you to imagine, like, I think she is tremendous Mm -hmm. actor from 
not knowing any of this, I just mm-hmm. thought she was so like in her power, so mm-hmm. grounded and powerful little peanut, really mm-hmm. like like a real Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. And she's awesome to look at. And I love her voice. Now imagine that she was doing all of that under such I, duress and honestly, in pain. It's very difficult to believe. It's amazing. And I wonder also if you're listening, Amelia Clark, I'm sure you're not. But if you are, I would love to talk to her about, was she able to channel Mm. any of that into the work? Was Mm -hmm. she able to take it and sort of harvest it and kind of put it into... I mean, does it lead to a bit of fuck it all? Like the last luxury I have is to be insecure and worried about my fucking acting when really like life itself is in question. Like, well, like just you were fucking saying, like, go out there and like do fucking it. Fucking do it because t- tomorrow is not guaranteed That's and right. you're keenly, keenly aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so does it make you super brave? Does it change your know. perspective so that you're like, yeah, I don't, What's I don't need to listen to you complain inside? about craft services yeah. or does it make you neurotic and scared and embittered? Like, I don't know, but I'd love, I, I think it might do that to some people, but I, I would find it hard to believe that it did it to her. Damn it. I just think she's fucking mm-hmm. great. So mm-hmm. she's telling the story. She says she's healed beyond her hopes and is at 100%. She has helped wow. create an organization called Same You, which which aims to provide treatment for people recovering from brain injuries and wow. strokes. Wow. Wow. Fucking Good amazing. For you. I know. Good for you, Amelia Clark. I've got more to this spark, though. Yeah. I've go got more to the spark. Oh, we're, let's go. It made me think of other performers who experienced that dissonance of what's going on on the inside and mm. what's going on on the outside. Do you remember when Anne Hathaway won the Academy Award for her performance in Les Mis? Mm-hmm. Do you, did mm-hmm. you, are you? I, and I remember a lot of backlash. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she gave this speech that started, she like, you know, they made her way to the stage and then she stared adoringly at the little baby Oscar that she had cradled mm-hmm. her arms and she goes, it came true. And I remember seeing it and it felt, something about it felt like, a twee and it's something about it felt like inauthentic to me. Like a performance. Yeah. Yeah. So she later gave this interview with the guardian and she fucking came out and said this and I quote, Mm -hmm. I've kind of lost my mind doing Les Miserables and it hadn't come back yet. Then I had to stand in front of people and feel something I don't feel, which is uncomplicated happiness It's an obvious thing. You win an Oscar and you're supposed to be happy. I didn't feel that way. I felt wrong that I was standing there in a gown that cost more than some people are going to see in their lifetime and winning an award for portraying pain that is still felt very much a a part of our collective experiences as human beings. Wow. I tried to pretend that I was happy and I got called out on it big time. That's the truth and that's what happened. It sucks. But what, what you learn from it is that... You only feel like you can die from embarrassment. You don't actually die. Wow. I think it's interesting that she was able to like circle back and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was, I kind of went to a very dark place making that movie that was very keyed into, um, 
you know, the way that people are exploited in this world mm-hmm. and the way that their brains break because of that. Mm-hmm. And I had very complicated feelings mm-hmm. about that, but you can't stand on stage at the Academy Awards That's and say, right. I have super complicated feelings about this, you guys. Thanks for this. But I feel, yeah, exactly. Cause they'll be like, well, let's give it to someone who doesn't feel so complicated yeah. about it. I gotta, I'll give her props for telling the truth, which is, you know, I got called out for bad acting and everyone was right. What you were I won an award for great acting. Yeah. And then at the award ceremony, I got called out for bad acting. Bad acting. I faked my way through it and you called me out on it. And it is true. So what, what I like about that is saying like, it's validating all the feelings that people were having at home. Like something about that feels inauthentic and it feels like a performance and not a good one. And she's basically saying, that's right. Because it was a performance. I was struggling with it. And that's what you saw. And it's, it's all true. She made a comment that I don't have uh, in front of me. It would take me a minute to find it. But she did make a comment about how at that time she didn't feel I'm going to get this wrong. And I apologize. Anne Hathaway, I'm certain you're not listening. I'm going to misquote you. But she said something like that she didn't at that time have uh, the means to give voice to like to find mm-hmm. a way to say what would be appropriate for the occasion, but also reflect how she truly yeah. feels. Yeah. And I relate to that. Like as some, you know, we were talking earlier, I feel like it's going to be my life's work to shorten the gap between how I really feel about something and yeah. expressing it. Yeah. And I feel like that's what she's saying here is that she yeah. didn't have at that time the wherewithal to like if if she was still like really torn up about the plight of people who are sexually trafficked or you know whatever it is yeah that she could have used that platform but you know like Maya Angelou says you know better you do better and It's so, these lives are so public though that, you know, they're having their journey and it's so easy to take swings at people. But I also think it's, we live in a weird time where in retrospect, we look back and we kind of apply today's rules to everything. And now we're in a moment where if you don't politicize something, it's kind of, oh, it's almost surprising. Like we have an expectation that, Glenn Close wins something for the wife. She's going to talk about the plight of right. women for decades right, 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 right. as a support system to men. And and it's expected. Um, but we haven't always lived in this, in this moment. And yeah. we haven't always expected actors to make a comment on and sometimes the when they do make topic. a comp- comment they get fucking uh, that's right slapped down for that that's right um that's right i loved what she said about you only feel like you can die from embarrassment you don't actually die and Ugh. it reminds me of john mulaney and and sort of like what how, when you fail like how yeah. do you process failure how do you yeah. let me try that again? Yeah. And I feel like Anne Hathaway is like, she is living in the, let me try that again. Let me try that again. Let me get closer to my authentic right. voice, which I love. But again, it points up uh, the the spark that I'm interested in today is that, that dissonance between yeah. what's going on on the inside when the world is like, you just won the Academy Award. Yeah. What are you going to do now? I'm going to Disney World. Like yes. that's what the world expects or projects onto you. And you're like, yeah. I have more complicated feelings than that, you know? Yeah. And I, I think sometimes what the world says and what, what is true are different things. So we might say 
that we value honesty. We might say that we value uh-huh. um, failure and trying again and that spirit. And then you see it in someone and you're like, you're doing it wrong. Alive. You're doing yeah, it wrong. Exactly. There's a lot of you're doing it wrong these days, which is a, it's pet peeve is, is not a large enough term to describe oh how God. frustrated I get with you're doing it wrong. Well, you and I both are, I think, big subscribers to the, the arena the Teddy yeah. Roosevelt, like yeah. for me, I'm like, please, I welcome you try feedback it. and criticism from anyone who's tried to do anything. Yeah. If you've not ever tried to do anything, then. But I also subscribe to uh, what you think about me is none of my business. That's good. What too. you fucking think about me is none of my business. Yeah. Enjoy it. Great. I hope you have many <laughs> dinner party conversations about what you think about me. Put it in the comments right. section. I'll be busy doing Whatever the fuck I'm I doing. do. So here's another really extreme example. Okay. And then I'm not going to torture you anymore. I feel like this has been mildly torturous. I'm like squirming in my seat over here. So my friend, I've seen this uh, documentary before, but my friend Larry Presgrove brought it to my attention Hi, again. Hi, Larry. Larry actually might be listening. Hi, Larry. Um, <laughs> I hope he, Larry this, There's this documentary on Marlena Dietrich, the old movie star. Oh. So she was known for her beauty and this Mm -hmm. sort of smoky sexiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Later in her life, she did a lot of concerts with a big orchestra and these big beaded gowns. Have you seen any of this footage where she has on like big, a big flowing white fur coat that is Uh -uh. so big that it just like drags the floor. She pimps so hard. Her furs drag the floor. (laughs) At one point, Marlena Dietrich was the highest paid cabaret artist in the world. Wow. I did not know She had this whole career as a movie star. And then she was like this very sexy. And I want you to just picture her in a beaded, like, so she had sort of this platinum, hair mm-hmm. and then like a platinum beaded gown Oof. and then on top of that like a giant white fur coat Hello. dragging the floor in a pink spotlight like come on get get a load of that yeah she's just falling in love again like all Aww. that yeah so apparently this is a fucking tangent that has to do with nothing except i, I, like I thought it. it was interesting i like it apparently she was a clean freak and elaine stritch told this is such a fucking side spark tangent. <laughs> Elaine Stritch is in this documentary. I guess they were pals. And she told the story about how Marlene Dietrich was a total clean freak. She traveled with her own Ajax and her own SOS pads and her own cleaning fluid. And when she visited Elaine's dressing room, I guess that they were in New York. The two of them were going to go to dinner somewhere with a group of friends. And so while Marlene Dietrich was waiting for Elaine Stritch to get ready to go to dinner, Marlene Dietrich completely cleaned and rearranged oh, Elaine Stritch's dressing room. Like cleaned it from top to bottom. So this is still, this is um, what it looks like on the inside. What it looks like <laughs> No, that was just a oh. fucking bullshit oh, tangent. Because that, that applies too. Like, wow, she seems, you know, all together and just thinking about her going around. Compulsively cleaning. Compulsively Like cleaning. down on her hands and knees. Yeah. The, the New York Times called her the queen of Ajax. Like this is how wow. like, this was known. Wow. known. Fascinating. So at this time, like in her later life, she's touring. She's the highest paid cabaret star in the world. She's also drinking a lot and taking the pills. And according to her conductor, Stan Freeman, he would kiss her before they would go on stage. And he could tell, like, as he got closer to her, even before they made contact, like by the smell on her, how much she had already drank. Um, 
so apparently during that time, because of the different substances in her system, she fell quite often. Oh. And one of those falls on stage, she broke her leg. Oh my God. And she was lying on the edge of the stage saying, bring down the curtain, bring down the curtain. And it was a compound fracture, which means the bone was sticking ah. out through the leg. Oh no. Yeah. And apparently, I don't know that it ever fully healed and nobody knew. Her daughter tells the story about how no one knew that they would bandage her leg with water compresses underneath and then dress her in these beaded gowns and these furs. And, furs. <gasps> and uh, her daughter talked about this image of Marlena Dietrich standing shimmering on that stage in that pink light all by herself. She described her as a soldier alone on the battlefield because the stage is a battlefield. And underneath it, her daughter knew that were these oozing wounds. Those are her words. God, I know that's really extreme and kind of gross. But what's my point? Both as a person and as a performer and also as a character study, I'm just fascinated by this tension between what's going on on the inside and what it looks like on the outside. So you can look like the most beautiful put together, highly paid cabaret star in the world or the most celebrated of the moment, beautiful, beautiful movie star. Or you can look like the fucking mother of dragons, just like leading 5,000 supernumeraries into battle. But you just... There's a tension between whether you're a performer or just a civilian. Yeah. There's a tension between what's That's happening right. on the inside and what it looks like on the outside. Yep. I'm yep. fascinated by the requirements that are baked into a professional performer's life, whether you're a dancer or an actor or a singer or an, even like an athlete. You are calling upon yourself again and again and again to perform at the very highest level even if you're not always feeling it. And sometimes there's extreme pain and there's, you know, just all these sorts of distress. And that at our very best, not on our best days, but at our best, we're able to pull ourselves up to that Mm -hmm. level of performance through discipline, through technique, through 10,000 hours of experience, through muscle memory, through sheer force of will, through our commitment to our word that we're going to. That's right. I was very interested. Have you seen Amy Schumer's Netflix? Not yet. Okay. Growing. So, so Amy, and she's fully pregnant um, during this special. And there's something about the way presents herself in the special, but, uh, and really I see it throughout. It's woven throughout a lot of her work. She's been, for instance, really authentic and honest about her illness throughout her pregnancy yeah. and her nausea. Yeah. And, yeah, all of it. <laughs> this is a little spoiler from the episode because it really is shocking and it's funny, but it's like shocking. She talks about how her belly button is so misshapen that she has to have two band-aids over it and she fucking lifts her dress and uh-uh. shows it to the audience. She does. Yeah. Oh she seems God. to be somebody who's building this body of work that resonates yeah. with people because she tells a pretty authentic version That's of right. the truth. That's right. What she's feeling on the inside seems to match what's we're seeing on the outside, but not completely. It is felt it's filtered through a very professional, very seasoned performance and performer. Yeah. But I respond to it 
And I think I aspire to that in my work. When I think about who do I want to be, what kind of performer do I want to be? Yeah. I want to be somebody who, in addition to being able to do the other thing, I would mm-hmm. also love to make work. And I think it's one of the reasons we are interested uh-huh. in making this podcast is because uh-huh. I can come and I can be like, I'm sick today. So my energy is a little bit lower and I can still bring you something That's right. that hopefully is, you know, sparkish and fun, but I can also be like, I'm the stuffy. I sound today. like a stuffosaurus today. 100%. Yeah. I aspire to that. Yeah. I like it. I do too. I feel like in my life and in my work, authenticity, like it's always been about that. And, and I can't imagine a time when it wouldn't be just because to live any other way is so uncomfortable to me. And I think to you as well, um, feel the, it's exhausting. But we were having this conversation this morning and I think it's relevant to this conversation when you're like, oh God, something in my life is really hurting, like feels distressing or painful or feels like anguishy that you're like, so what do I do? What did you say? You were like, do I start doing like positive self-helpy affirmations or do I express how I feel? Like, do I just go fully there of like, this is how I'm feeling and I'm going to feel it all the way. And my feeling was it's a one, two combo platter, which is attunement first. Yeah. First you attune with like, this is what I feel like. Mm -hmm. This is the truth of where I'm at right now. This is what it feels like in my body. This is what it feels like in my Mm -hmm. heart. Mm -hmm. And then after you've had that self-expression opportunity, then you can decide what you're going to do about it, what action you want to take and what you're aspiring to And then you can get into like the affirmation and that sort of thing. But if you try to skip that step of attunement, I think that's when you have a weeping wound under your bugle beaded gown. (laughs) That's what I think. (laughs) There's nothing more to say. We must end on that note. I will end on this note, (laughs) this quote from Marjorie Pay Hinckley or Rasputin or Martin Luther King or whoever it came from. Uh, Be kind. Everybody you meet is fighting a hard battle. Oh, girl. And on that note, I got to pee. Um, you got a spark for me, girl? I got a spark for you. What you got for me? Uh, first time got a burp. I got to eat this. Okay. Good. Um, so my spark this week is called the Lumber Jills. Did you read about the Lumberjills this week? I don't know what week? you're talking about, okay, good. but it's cutest butt. The Lumberjills. So my grandpa grew up in Brooklyn. It's my dad's whole family. And even I I was born in, in New York as well. Um, and my crazy. I always forget that. I always think of you as just Midwestern Kansas. through and through. I know. But I grew up in Long, uh, Long Island until I was like seven. And then we moved. But my Weird. dad's Brooklyn. And my grandpa as well, um, on Flatbush Avenue. Huh. Um, but some of my grandpa's photos show him in Oregon around like 19 or 20, just a strapping, handsome, shirtless guy, like surrounded by a bunch of other guys and trees, trees, trees. Huh. What is this? You might ask. What? What is it? What was grandpa doing in Oregon? It turns out my grandpa before the war was part of the CCC, which is the Civilian Conservation Corps. 
Um, nobody in my family, although if any of my family's listening, um, first of all, hi. hi. Uh, second of all, maybe someone knows about this and I just haven't talked to you about it, but it, and no one in my immediate family has a great deal of knowledge about his time in Oregon. So I got inspired this week to look a little bit further into it and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, but the CCC was part of Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. Sure. And I'm saying that like I know what the fuck yeah, I'm talking about. These are well, things I remember these phrases from I, history class. This is what's so I also crazy don't know what to the me. Fuck. Like when you like I I can know that my grandpa was in Oregon and I can also know about the New Deal and yet not put have it together. put these things together. Sure. Right. Yep. So the New Deal was established by FDR to help with the extremely high unemployment in the Great Depression. And um, he believed in conservation and he also believed in universal service for youth, you know, so having, having to contribute in some way, which Uh I do think topic maybe for another day, but I do think that where we are now could be, you know, um, a result of a a number of generations not having to give anything. Like we've had Hmm. the privilege of being able to be like, cool I get all this and I don't have to I can play video games all day all day is that what the kids are doing uh grandma Susan shut up (laughs) so listen uh so it turns out that many of when they when they started the uh CCC many of the unemployed young men were in the east but much of the conservation efforts were in the west so the army arranged transport and got like 300,000 men Jesus out west wow they worked with the US forest service the national park service the department of interior department of agriculture they fought fire forest fires they planted trees they cleared and maintained roads they reseeded grazing lands they built Bridges and campgrounds, because FDR really wanted to encourage Americans to get out and enjoy the gorgeous natural resources of our country. Word. So these guys got $30 a month. A dollar a day. I was going to say, you might have heard that phrase, another day, another dollar. Is that what that's Fucking from? Fucking A, right there. 30 dollars per month and room and board they were is that really what that's from another day another dollar i mean i can't promise you that but that's what your research that's it came up a couple times yeah i i always mean research in lowercase r research research (laughs) i love that another day another dollar another dollar That's the name of my new country western album. <laughs> By the Lumberjills. By the um, oh, bringing it back to theme. Okay. Bringing it back to spark. Anyway, so these guys, Susan, they got $30 a month. Did you hear that Cardi month. B trademarked? Oh, did you hear that? I did. And did she people actually criti- get it? People criticize. I don't know, but she said that people were coming for her, criticizing her. And she was like, fuck you. Make up your own word. Make up your own fucking word. She's like, everywhere I go, every interview I do, every time a company asks me to shill a product for them, they want me to say that. And so you better believe I'm going to get paid for it. Does that mean the rest of us can't say it? 
maybe not really for, maybe not when we're it. doing a commercial for Pepsi. We can't. No, not when we're doing commercials. But, but you regular? probably just got we could get sued for because you just said it on this podcast. I hope we're in it together. It's true. Good thing we got. Come all on, come of our for us, Cardi B. Come for paperwork. us. Paperwork tied up. There you go. Good There's job. some free press. Come for us, Cardi B. But I was like, no, really don't. I. P.S. Sidebar, 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 sidecar. If you want a treat, <laughs> you should follow Cardi B on Instagram. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I fucking okay. love her. I love her. I think she's super talented. Yeah. I love looking at her. And I was like, you are a wise little Buddha. She is. She's, she's just she's like authentic. She's, she's authentic. She's, she's her own like, to the is. point of like what's on the inside seems to match what's on the outside. And I think she's fucking smart and talented. And I don't know. I just lo- I like her take on things. I have to say that when I thought in advance about talking about my grandpa's time in the CCC, it didn't occur to me that Cardi B might make her way okay. in. <laughs> Um, we're full of surprises. Grandpa, meet Cardi B. Oh, I love Aww. it. Somewhere in heaven. Um, I'm sorry. So you were saying. Uh, anyway, it's not, it's, you know. It's not it's, important. Let's, let's just shut you it know down what? Let's now. Let's just talk about Cardi B. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> sorry. Fucking derailed you. Where were we? Uh, Before I pulled so you off track. these guys, these guys were paid $30 a month. Yes. And they got room and board. They were required to send $25 a month back home to their families. So they were living on $10 a month, but they got room and board. Uh, $5. $5 wait. a month is what they got. 20, wait, wait, wait. $25 is what they, they had to send, send home. $25. Sorry. I didn't hear the five. So they got room and board. Home. Yeah. And they had $5 spending money. Yeah. That's right. Jeez. They signed up for six months at what a time. What year is this? The 20s? The 19s? And this the 20s? would be the 30s. So like 30s. 33 to about 42. How far did $5 go? Well, everything else is paid for. So I know, but what do you get? Some penny candy? Maybe. Maybe some cigarettes. Wow. I really don't know. A little bit of hooch? These guys signed up for like six months at a time. But the whole program lasted like nine years. It was disbanded when World War II started. Or they needed when the America joined the fight uh-huh. and and they needed the guys. Wow. Yeah. Um, at one time, it's estimated that about 5% of the U.S. male population participated in it. Women were not allowed. So by the time it was over, this tree army, FDR's tree army, as it's called, had planted more than 3.5 billion, billion trees. That's a lot of trees. Um, or as we say in this house... Well, that's a lot of trees. That's a lot of trees. And more than 700 new state parks were established by these guys. So their legacy Jeez, lives on. That's baller. It is Did baller. you say 700, 700 new, state, new parks? state parks that people still Did you say 700 nude 700 state parks? Nude parks. Um, that's, that is a huge, awesome accomplishment. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, But it was also good for these guys. You know, some of these guys learned to read while they were there. They had classes for all kinds of things from cooking to boxing to journalism to whatnot. And they were also just shredded from like all that manual labor. That's right. These pictures of my grandpa are a little bit like, what? I want to see those pictures. And I mean that in the most wholesome possible way. handsome, handsome man. I love that. This is your, is this your dad's dad? That's my dad's dad. Yeah. My my dad's pretty handsome Can't wait to see those pictures, girl. 
So you'll see him. Um, but what's really sad is as I got into the research, it seemed um, like even the government doesn't have great records. Really? I've, I discovered, at least in Oregon, where my grandpa was, they're still trying to kind of piece together the history. And um, they're hoping people will like send in their memorabilia and photos if they have it. So I'm thinking I actually might send those photos of my grandpa in to Oregon what? help out there a little awesome. bit. Scan those. That's right. Email but them. Interestingly, the thing that got me thinking about this this week was an article in the New York Times um, by Emily Ludoff. So over here in the U.S., while the CCC was winding down because all of our men were headed to go to war, Britain, on the other hand, was gearing up and creating the Women's Timber Corps, playfully called... The, the Lumberjills. That's the name of our new bowling team. Lumberjills. Um, if we lived in was, Portland, our bowling team would be called the Lumberjills. <laughs> We'd probably have competition with other Lumberjills there. I feel, like, um, I feel like... Or um, it could be our roller derby team, too. The Lumberjills. You know, I've always had a secret fantasy. And then our, our tag would be like, Timber. Oh! Right? We're knocking them down. Timber! You're going down. I'm yelling timber. I like it. Right? I like it. So over here in the U.S., it was like Rosie the Riveter and women were oh, going into, yeah. um, uh, what you call it, factory jobs. Yeah. In England, women were enlisted to like cut down trees for all different purposes, from telegraph poles to making like pit props for the guys who were going to be in the trenches, railroads, all that stuff. I never heard that term before, pit props. Pit props. And that's literally in the trenches. Like, Uh, in the trenches. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what they needed, like, the wood for. Yeah. Um, And many of those women were city-bred. They didn't know anything about trees. They (laughs) they got, like, a month of training. I love it. Um, But suddenly, they're, like, these forestry workers. They're swinging axes and driving tractors, cutting saws, like, using cut saws. They didn't have chainsaws, so they're literally cutting down. <gasps> they're doing the old back and forth. Fuck. I bet they were getting shredded too. Labor, yes. Get it, ladies. But like supplies from other countries were cut off, so it was literally essential. The work, like, just imagine going to work every day and just feeling like what you're doing is essential. That's great, right? Yeah. Um, just a great sense of purpose. So obviously I'm not an expert on either of these topics, but I felt inspired this week by that article. I felt inspired to just keep learning about like a fucking cool things like the lumber gills that I didn't even know existed, but also to my own like family history, because, you know, there's forgotten stories in there that can be, can be utilized. Absolutely. I, you know what? Cams, I love the idea of you. You're a writer. You can write a screenplay. You know what's what. Like, you could really write something beautiful about your, that like a legacy piece about your grandfather's experience where, you (sighs) know. That would be pretty cool. It's, I think the challenge is like a lot of those guys, including my grandpa, just did not talk about what they experienced. It's one of the reasons I really like while I still have the chance talking to friends and family, talking to my parents. And I just had a long conversation with my father about this, just like 
really talking and learning as many stories as possible yeah and committing that to either video or recording it or oh, you know taking notes so, so that if you are so inclined if you are so sparked you i we could make something out of it that's right something useful something that celebrates the legacy of this person yes and make sure these stories don't die yeah you yeah. know um, the specificity I've, and the. I've been interviewing my dad. Um, yes, recently girl. My dad's got a bunch of stories. And one in particular about a coach that he grew up with. A coach that was so like now in our in our PC world would be, he wouldn't have a job for like half an hour before being wow. fired, um, and yet had a profound impact on not just my dad, but so many other guys yeah. who turned out to be incredible human beings, despite what we would now label as totally inappropriate Isn't behavior. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I can't another, get enough of it. I'm just spark like recording for another day. It. That's right. I'm just recording. That's a um, great spark history. too, which is um, like, listen to the stories, like get, yeah. like get, get the stories right there there's good stuff like look to your parents look to your grandparents instead of just being like rolling your eyes into the back of your head and being like this happened in my family i'm so bored i'm gonna go watch tv start talking start listening start recording yeah i always think it's a nice idea to get permission from people yeah to like that's important i'm just gonna record this and if i make something out of it i'm gonna circle back to you and and just get your permission but yeah there's something about stories, all different kinds of stories with all different kinds of tones, dark stories, yeah. joyous stories, like all the stories, all the family There's so stories. much spark in there. Get them all. The Lumberjills. Plus that's uh, going to be a great. That's a great band name. It's a great, it's so many things. I, I do like a bowling team. I do like a. A roller, roller derby, derby team. Because I'm not joking. I've had a fantasy about roller derby for a long time. Really? Mm-hmm. Girl. Yeah. I feel like I might have missed a calling. Maybe your name, that maybe your good. roller derby character name is Lumberjill. And maybe when you take somebody down, you're oh. like, Timber. I like it. Um, shit. Guess what? <sighs> oh. This has been another episode of the Spark File. We hope that you put, we hope that this, we hope that something that happened today something. put another bunch of sparks Anything. in your file. If Anything. there is a spark that you know of that you would like us to explore, or if you've experienced a spark that you'd like to share, why don't you just go on and email us at the spark file at gmail.com. Yes. And while you're at it, while your fingers are on the keyboard, be sure to subscribe to this <laughs> bucket of life. <laughs> Wherever you get your podcasts, <laughs> subscribe, rate, and review. Those are the key. That's the three-step process right. that will lead to our success. That's all we ask of you. Come on. Come on. Subscribe, rate, and review, friends. I guess we also ask this, that if something tickles your fancy, if something gets you going or excited, then just please, please, please promise us you'll take that spark and fan it into a flame. You got to define it. You got to mine it. You got to design it. Then you got to refine it. You just got to take it and And make make it. it. This has been the Black Thank you so much. Thanks, Cams. Thanks, Black The Limber Gels. When I bump into something that inspires me, 
I dump it in my spark files. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark files. I jump into my spark files. Let's open up the spark files. Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy and possibility in your creative process whether you're a writer a performer a baker a candlestick maker navigating the creative process can be a bear but never fear there's power in numbers at the spark file so let's link arms and make the trip together it's may 13th through 17th 7 p.m eastern less than one hour per day and if you can't join live don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.